Welcome to Work It, Live It, Own It, a show that explores how to upgrade your lifestyle through life lessons, real estate, and entrepreneurship. Here's your hostess, Sakola Lair. Mental health is one of those important topics, if now more than ever, especially now that we're coming out of a pandemic. Mental health is so important. But you know what? Mental health has always been a chief concern in our lives. So today on Work It, Live It, Own It, I brought along a special guest who is going to shed some light on the importance of mental health in the workplace. So joined with me today is Hanish Chohan. Now, Hanish is a management consultant divorced dad coach, a father of two incredible teens. He's an entrepreneur, an army veteran, an avid adventurer who is insatiably curious. And his mission, vision, and purpose in life is to help others to be the best that they can be as a parent or as a business leader. That is his passion. Thank you so much for joining us, Hanish. Thanks, Sakola. Thanks for having me. And to talk about uh, a topic that's really near and dear to me. So excited to to start this conversation. Yes, absolutely. And guys, I have to tell you, I met Hanish in a group that's so heart-centered and, and heart-focused. But then I came across a YouTube video that you did, and it was so quick. It was very short. It's like three, little over three minutes. And I was like, I need to bring him on, bring him on the show to talk about mental health in the workplace, because you mentioned something about your history and your experience in the military. So can you tell us what led you on to this journey to even get up and speak among your peers about the importance of mental health in the workplace? Wow, where to, well, there's so many places I could begin, but I would say it's really, the it all comes down to the struggles I faced, uh, the the environment I grew up in, what sort of imprints that left me with, and the challenges that ensued growing up and facing what I didn't I couldn't even define anxiety. I remember in my early twenties going to the doctor to say it feels like this the sky's going to fall, and and he just said, oh, anxiety. Here's some drugs. Here's some meds. I'm like, ah, time out. Like, can we do something else? And and that's that was my first foray into therapy. But sharing, just sharing, I just wanted to share what I was experiencing in case anyone could learn from it. And as I went through different work environments, I was able to recognize those challenges in other people and just being sensitive to it and empathetic to it was able to to reach out to people, to share my challenges, to show that it doesn't make me or you or anyone else less effective. It's a fact of life and let's just talk about it and deal with it and know what's what's happening and if that's a limitation and what you need to get back on track. Right. Absolutely. And I can be honest with you. It's the same. Your story and your, I'm sure, is a very shared experience with so many people. You may feel a certain sense of doom and gloom at some point in time and you may not know why and the first thing that a lot of people did was 
oh, let's give you some medicine or this is just a temporary thing or just kind of brushed it off. And it doesn't help to treat the symptoms. You've got to reach down into the source. So when it comes to talking about mental health in the workplace, what are some common mental health challenges that you have seen or read about that employees face today in today's workplace? And how have these challenges evolved over the years? The, I think today's workplace is far more challenging than the workplace of years before. We've got hybrid work scenarios. We've got the lack of breaks between meetings where you're moving from one Zoom meeting to another. And don't get that opportunity to pause, go to the bathroom, even converse and have those informalities with, with colleagues or stakeholders where you get to introduce yourself and, and have that, call it small talk, call it relationship building, call it just not work, work, work. That's definitely, I think, a, a large challenge today, along with being forced to commute if you have a job where you can be fully independent, but then if you are fully independent, staying home isolated contributes to declining mental health because you're not getting that social engagement. So today is, is so much harder along with the other things that are coming at us in the workplace. There's different apps to monitor the projects, different apps for some sort of great idea, employee engagement idea. There's apps for other other organizational delivery requirements, operational delivery requirements, I mean. So we just have so many more things to touch, to log into and have too much stimulus. I really think there's the stimulus and interactions we have are with screens, apps, devices, as opposed to people. And the more that scale tilts in one direction, the worse it is for us. Mm. You touched on a lot of points because... Yeah, there are a lot of apps, different software programs that we got to switch back and forth to a lot of screen time now, more so now than ever. Then it's the mentality of hustle, hustle, grind, grind, working late hours, sometimes on the weekends, sacrificing family time, personal time. And I can tell you, I've worked in places. I don't even know everybody's name. Wow. I don't even know what department they worked in. I'm like, okay, I've seen you in the hallway. <laughs> but that's crazy. Don't know. Crazy to yeah. not even know who, who they are. Right. You don't know who they are. You, you're trying to figure out what department they're in. And so, yes, I totally agree. Those are some of those common challenges. But now, can you discuss with us, the stigma surrounding mental health issues at work and how it impacts an employee's willingness to even seek help and support. And and to just add on to the last point is it talks to culture when you see people that you don't know and not on you, but on the culture of the organization where you don't have that familiarity with that individual where the leadership or the management's not introducing who he or she is and how or why they matter to your their integration, to their participation, to the two of you, 
connecting or the groups connecting for the greater outcome. So, and it may be a recurring theme through this conversation, but it always comes down to leadership. I will always point the finger at leadership because it's the onus is on them. Mm. So coming back to, to your question, sorry, Sikola, can you tell, ask me that, ask me it again? Sure. Yeah. We're talking about the stigma. The stigma right. around mental health issues at work and how it impacts an, an employee's willingness to even seek help and support. Because a lot of people work high stress jobs, but there's the stigma behind just even talking about mental health issues. Yeah, it's, it's, it's seen at or perceived to be weak. The, the judgment from your peers, from management, from your subordinates is if you don't have that if you're facing any sort of mental health challenges, then you're lesser than your peers. You're unable or unfit potentially, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to perform your duties and do your job. And that could be perceived as not trusting that individual's judgment and not recognizing, again, it's a symptom or what, what happens at home impacts the workplace and vice versa. You can't separate home and work. That person is that person. Same way you're answering your phone at home for a work issue is you're still on and that expectation is there. So that stigma, I think is really unfair. It's a shame. And if there was more dialogue around, Hey, if you're facing these challenges, let's, let's talk about it or bring it up with your supervisor or bring it up with with HR, or if you've got an employee assistance program, to just be forthright with with it, so that you can dissolve that stigma and the the, the facts, the statistics of what society is facing today is mental health, mental illness is skyrocketing, mm-hmm. and then therefore that leads to physical illness. And what's happened post COVID is exceptional, or shocking rather than exceptional, because of that lack of interactions we're not getting the person to person touch the person to person community engagement and growth and that village has eroded we don't have the houses of worship to go to where no matter your beliefs or spirituality where you get that community to support you it's it's all gone and so we're just further deteriorating if we don't pay attention to this and, and take heed and have open conversations about this is not something to be feared or to be shamed about. It's something to to address, to talk about, to to share our challenges because that makes us more human. And the more we share, the more we can serve and help each other. So that's it's it's unfortunate. And I really think I love that you're doing this because more conversations on this topic make it more human. It it does. And I can, and the reason why I wanted to bring you on is because I've personally had to deal with that, whether it was not anything dealing necessarily with mental health, but there are times where I worked as an educator, you deal with so many different personalities, so many different stressors all at once. And it wasn't until I think right at the beginning of the pandemic where my state decided okay, educators can go see a therapist and they don't have to make a copay. Or there have been programs offered by the state health plan that all educators are a part of, and they offered six sessions for free. 
And I would see educators crumbling behind the scenes, about to fall apart. And when I would refer them back to that, I say, hey, which is going to lead us to the other part where HR was saying, okay, we have this program and you can meet with a therapist for six sessions for free. A lot of them didn't take up, take up on it. And I'm saying it's free. And, but they want to come to each other. They want to, and, and I think it is important to let people vent, let them get it off their chest because if not, they suppress it, they hold it in, they're going to blow. And it's going to lead to a huge, a larger ripple effect of emotions. But some people just don't want to do it. And that's the scary part about that stigma because you're considered, oh, well, you can operate fully functionally to do the job that we hired you to do. Or somehow it makes you seem like a lesser individual that's not fully capable of doing the tasks assigned. And that dehumanizes to me. I don't know how you feel, but to me, it dehumanizes the people that you hired to fill a position. So I think that's another uh, stigma that I think mental health just needs to be addressed because we all go through periods of anxiety, periods of depression, high stress, and eventually that stress will start affecting other parts of your body. So thank you for speaking to people and providing a platform for people to talk about that and try to humanize it. Have you come across any other, as far as the roles of employers or even the HR departments, what have you seen as far as the their role in promoting mental health and well-being in the workplace? I I see programs. I see the language that that narrative. I don't see a sincere, holistic approach to it. So everything you just said, <clears throat> excuse me, everything you just said, talks to the lack of a front end messaging of saying, "Hey guys, we understand at any point in your career or in life you will be facing these challenges, and the impact to you, to your colleagues, to the workplace is worse." If you're not open about it, if you don't seek resolution or seek support for it, which is why I want to offer this to you, and it can lead to heart disease, it can lead to inflammation, it can lead to all these secondary and tertiary impacts to your body that lead to decreased quality of life, longevity, and the ability to function and, and do what you we very much appreciate you're here to do for us. So we're offering up these sessions. It's completely anonymous. Please take us up on it and here you go and please talk amongst yourselves like it's it's creating that that comfortable environment and that lack of punishment or, or reducing that stigma so that's the front end piece and on the hr side i feel in my experience as time has gone on the hr practitioners have less of that hr role and there's there's a gray area in that spectrum between the the supervisor of the chain of command and the HR group. They're therefore onboarding. They're therefore all the legislative policy requirements that we have to report back to the state or the, the federal government on this and that. But there's less of that actual or engagement, employee engagement and having the pulse on what's happening, be it by employee 
employee surveys, be it by looking at this. I'm, I'm very much evidence and metrics driven. So when I hear an organization has an increased rate of attrition or turnover or sick days, that's concerning. And senior management needs to pause and tap into and scratch on the surface. Why is this happening? Is there is the workload too much? Is management, you know, is is management just not not doing their job? Are they too hard on their people? Is are they understaffed? What's happening? Why is this is occurring? So there's this full full cycle of review that needs to happen. This is the intent. This is what we want for what you're doing. This is what we have that's being provided and what your options are for support. And then questioning, is it working? Is it working? Is what we have in place sufficient to support employees? And based on these outcomes and what's what's being provided, do the metrics show that it's effective? And if you can get it straight from data that comes from the HR department, that's great. But really the best thing is, is to engage with your teams, with your staff, with senior management engaging lower level staff, even if it's just by, by sample. Um, I don't like town halls because they're artificial. It's good for disseminating information and, and for that PR moment to get senior management out in front of everybody. But you don't get that real dialogue. It's something yeah. I really enjoyed in the military was we would have the OC's hour or the CO's hour, which is your officer commanding or your commanding officer's hour. And it, it was a, a place where middle management was pulled aside. And you just had that senior senior leader with all the junior staff where they were able to vent their complaints so that it wasn't being translated or buffered through the different levels. And, and that's what I think is lacking is honest feedback. What is what are people really feeling and facing? Right. Because I think, too, like you're saying, in the workplace, and I, I, I come from that education background and also the realtor background where a lot of decisions were made, but the key players were not taken into consideration. And so when it comes down, it's like another mandate. This is what we're doing. The state says this, the district says this, or the school board says this. Okay. Something else to add onto our plates. Thank you very much. Or like even when we came back from the pandemic, it was like, okay, business as usual. And it was hard to transition from two years of trying to learn how to do things remotely, then come back in person to go back to doing, well, I'm glad we're going back to the way things were. To me, I looked at it as an opportunity to say, no, let's take what we've learned and let's figure out what we can do better and allow space for that. But I've also seen some best practices come out of the pandemic as well. When it when we're talking about creating mentally healthy work environment. They were built in mental health days, right? Have you seen that? I don't know if you've heard about that, where there were some built-in mental health days for people. And my real estate firm recently is providing the option for realtors to have health, wellness, and wealth. They call it health, wellness, and wealth. So if they need a therapist to talk to, because that is another high-pressure job, they can tap into that resource and it's pr provided to us. It's included. 
and they can take advantage of that as well. So I've seen some good things come out of it. Has there been any other best practices that you've seen as far as creating a mentally healthy work environment? That's first, I just want to say that's a really good practice. And I love that, that employers are recognizing that that little bit of investment because there are so many more services being provided for smaller organizations. So online, there's um, online cognitive behavioral therapy, other therapy, counseling services available. So you don't need a large organization that can afford this type of service. It's fractionalized, but that investment to support your people prevents the sick days, makes them feel valued, will investment into their wellness will increase the propensity for that employee to stay on. And what I have noticed post-pandemic is that there's been more pushback by employees. So it's it's a revolution in terms of people leaving their jobs because they value their quality of life or they realize like, wait, I potentially have options, but my ability to stay home with my family, my kids have a less shorter commute, essentially just greater quality of life is far more important than me serving somebody who, where I'm just a number. And then the pushback on, well, why do we have to come in when all the other teams aren't here either? <laughs> because we have to be, it's a hybrid work environment. That's the, the biggest complaint I'm hearing right now, or the hoteling stations in, in these office spaces that have shrunk down because people can't have their own dedicated space, but the spaces aren't respected. You can't have your, the picture frame of your children. It's just not a warm and cozy site. You don't have your own chair, that adjusted chair, or it's, it's maybe it'll take time to adjust and change is hard, but this is forcing the conversations to be had about, okay, well, what do you need for unionized organizations? Unions are getting more, more engaged. So that the dialogue's happening. There's pushback. So that, that evolution is occurring. Right. And I definitely see more people taking off work and they make no qualms about it. And it's like, I need a mental health day. And I've always been like that. If I felt like I was at that boiling point, I would even go to my bosses and say, I'm taking a sick day. I'm not sick, but I'm mentally exhausted. And I need this time to re to recoup, regroup, so I can come back and be a professional. Because at this point, if I keep pushing myself to come in, I will be at a breaking point. And that kind of brings me to, because we've talked about education, we talked about military, we talked about real estate. Are there any other specific industries or professions that you found that are more susceptible to mental health issues? Oh, definitely. But for I just want to add on to what you just talked about is if you're sick, you're sick. I don't feel people need to explain whether it's mental or physical. Because mm -hmm. if I have a cold and, and I'm contagious, sure, I need to go home. But if I'm feeling unwell mentally because of whatever reasons, my personal life, stress from work, I'm going to be short. My tolerance for people is going to be poor. My ability to make sound decisions is going to be poor because in that state, you're stuck in your animal brain, right? You're not using the, the your prefrontal cortex to make the right decisions. You're, you're stuck in your limbic system using your amygdala. So no bueno. That's that's just not a good thing. Nobody wants that. Even if, if you're nauseated no. and have diarrhea, nobody wants that either. So both circumstances. Right. Time out, boss. I don't feel well. I need to go home. That should all you need to say. And 
for employers to trust their employees. You hired me for a reason. You don't need to look over me. Trust that I will carry out my responsibilities. And the more you trust me, the more I will work harder. There's mm-hmm. Test study after study that shows this. And then yeah, there's, it, sorry, go ahead. Go, no, sorry, you go ahead. Oh, I was going to transition to the, the other question you asked. So please, go ahead. I was just chiming in on what you said. You said a, a very important keyword, trust. If an industry cannot build a level of trust with the people that they work with, I, don't, I won't even say employees, but the people they hire to, to do a job in a certain area, it's not just about I hired you, so I'm going to trust you to do that. But employers have to take the extra step to build that trust. That means that for me and the people who work for a company or organization have to know that the employers have their back. They have their best interests at heart. They are supported. And a lot of times I think one of the books I read and I, I love Simon Sinek's books, but he talked about I was just trust. thinking about him. Yes, that's right. exactly who popped in my head. Right. Talking about that trust and how to build that trust is by putting your people who you hired first before profits, before all the other stuff that comes along. Because if they know that we have your best interest at heart, they don't have a problem coming and working and giving their best. And if you don't allow room for innovation to grow, innovation can't grow unless people have that time to breathe. Because when you think about when is you get your best ideas, for me, sometimes I could be laying in bed, which I should be sleeping, but then an idea pops in my head because I'm resting. Some people say it comes to them in a shower. So if there's not enough downtime during the day, you can't have produ- productivity, you can't have innovation happening. And there's no trust being built. And people will just come to work because they feel like I have to go to work. No, for me, I get to go to work. Yes. Because yes. it's a choice. And that's such an important distinction. Imagine everybody waking up and like, I get to go to work. I enjoy who I work with. My boss, bosses have my back. This organization mm-hmm. will take care of me. They have my best interests in mind. That's where you breed a healthy workplace where wellness grows where you get more productivity you get more you get more longevity out of your people and you don't even have to pay them more they value that so studies are showing especially post-covid that i think it's a third or up to close to half between a third and a half employees will take greater wellness benefits or greater um sense of safety the better care mm-hmm. the employer takes care of their their employees they're more interested in that and whether it's romantic whether it's boss to subordinate or horizontal whatever the relationship it is all relationships are built on trust and respect and mm-hmm. the minute either of those deteriorate that's when you start going downhill and then at an individual levels with say a supervisor and their subordinate it's just like an adult and a child, every employee wants significance and belonging and taking understanding 
at a more tactical level, if your employee is more extroverted or introverted, to be able to reach out to the introverted employees because they're not the ones speaking up at the town halls and in the meetings and in the boardroom. They're the ones that would probably prefer to send it in email or have a one-on-one dialogue with their supervisor to, to share their concerns. So it's, it's understanding people more and focusing on whether it's manufacturing or service-based industry, focus on your people and the rest follows because then you're right. If they're innovative, if you have that dialogue, they'll be able to provide the inputs and the, the best practices from what they're experiencing as they're delivering the service because they're at the front lines. Right. Absolutely. So trust, respect, and providing a space for open dialogue and making sure that if there is going to be open dialogue, that it's suitable for different personalities yes, and intelligences, because just sitting here, you're going to hear the loud ones, the ones that always want to rah, rah, rah. <laughs> but there are a lot of people I've sat in so many meetings and there may be some good insights. And they'll talk about it after the meeting. And you're like, well, why didn't you speak up? Yeah. Yeah. And they won't because they feel like they're not heard or people are going to judge. So thinking about ways to provide an opportunity, various opportunities to receive that feedback is important. Yes. But, but now switching gears a little bit. Sometimes burnout is inevitable and it is a growing concern if it's not checked. So what are some signs of, I know some signs of burnout in me, but what are some signs of burnout, typical signs of burnout and how can employers and individuals themselves prevent it from becoming such a widespread issue in the workplace? What do you think they can do to help with that? Because I've lived through it and I didn't even know it was burnout until two years after I recovered. So I was off work for 14 months with all these weird autoimmune st- symptoms. My body just shut down. The level of inflammation was crazy. It started with one knuckle in my toe getting swelled to me, starting to take Advil for that. And then it just went on through my body. I was up to 28 Advil a day for you know being a silly man just thinking, <laughs> walk it off, finish. You're good. Just keep on going. And then I went to my doctor and she just said, you're going to burn a hole in your stomach. And what I didn't realize along the way was my cynicism, my, my grumpiness. I'm not a grumpy person. I was trying to wake up angry. And, and my think my cognitive load was, was just too much. I wasn't able to think straight. And when you do the research, it's these symptoms, symptoms of depression, the inability to function, being less social, um, starting to get sick, uh, and mm-hmm. the list goes on. And even it could be at a conflict of values, and that might be a big part of it because it's, I'm not balancing life. I'm being forced to do things that aren't supposed to be you know, for me or go against my, my ethos. And so- Burnout is really challenging to diagnose, and I've read a lot on this, but I think the key thing is whether it's yourself or whether you're looking at an employee, if their behavior changes, and it's not just for a day or two, it's time to kind of sit down with them and and, and don't 
point them to see a therapist. Don't point them to employee assistance. Don't point them to HR. They report to you. Step up as a leader to sit down with your employee and, and see if everything's okay. If you're not having regular weekly or bi-weekly meetings one-on-one with your team, that's a problem where you should be able to smell out any of these behavioral shifts because how that trickles down or across your team or across your organization, there's a significant ripple effect. But to come back from burnout, that's not just a take a couple of weeks off, you'll be fine. It's, it's a very long road to recovery. And most people generally don't go back to the same role or position because of the, the time to recover or realizing just how unhealthy what they were doing was. So tricky. That's really tricky. But ultimately, their supervisor, you just need to have a better pulse on your employees. Like just care. Ask them what is going on through life. Just ask them, are you okay? Is everything okay at home? Is everything okay at work? And if they say no and they still demonstrate the same behavior, have that conversation again. Right. That open dialogue is so important. And I didn't experience that until about eight years ago. Because working in education, if you take off, you know, the teacher mindset is if I take off because I'm sick, I'm going to have more work to do because I've got all this work that the kids have done. And so they don't. I've gotten sick because <laughs> my colleagues will come to work sick and teach sick because they know there's this pile of work that I've got to get done, or I've got to teach these kids these lessons for these tests that I've got to take. So I got to push myself. I got to keep going. And I've been in that boat where I completely burnt out. And it wasn't until I had not my boss, but a family member who's in the mental health profession, went to school for mental health, said, and I was going to my GP. And he said, stop going to your GP, ask to see a psychiatrist. Then they can put you in touch with a therapist and start the process of healing or just having a safe space to just talk about things, give you some strategies to help and cope. So now, because like you, I didn't realize what burnout was. I just felt crabby, grouchy. I was snapped. I would get headaches, migraines, the inflammation, um, loss of sleep, which is going to make you cranky either way. Your diet is poor. You're not taking care of yourself like you do. And then you're tired all the time. The lethargy, the fog, the mental fog, you don't, you have this lack of mental clarity. You can't really focus. You're like, okay, what was I doing? I'm sitting here at this computer. Yes. I'm sitting here for a reason. What was I supposed to be doing? And your, or your calendar, your calendar. Another reason is like, I'm trying to remember all these different appointments and, and things of that nature. And, and you're getting your appointments mixed up or you're having to call the doctor. Hey, I got in my calendar that I have this. No, your appointment is this time or you show up to the wrong place. And so I've learned when those certain Things like that start to happen. It's like, okay, let's take a step back. And if that means you got to take a step back in your career, in your business a little bit. And what I found in my personal experience, I have seen men in my family 
they will walk away from a job that paid them well and take a job. And it may be half of their salary or dollars $20,000 less to have more peace of mind and still be mentally okay and, and sane or not sane, but just mentally, what, what would be the right word, Hamish? Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just blown away that these people are wise enough to catch themselves and know what's more important right. as I've been guilty of it too. I'm all about powering through and I can get through it. And despite mm-hmm. that cognitive dysfunction or at the time I call it mental constipation, you just mm-hmm. you're tripping over yourself and you just think, okay, well, I'll just come back from this. I, I can, I, I was able to do this before I'll come back to it before that's, that's, I think really honorable and incredible self-awareness for anyone that can say, this isn't good. I would come back to, achieving something that is healthier, safer, and where I can have a quality of life. Because at the end of the day, what is it all for? What is it all for? That's what I want to ask everybody. Like, why are parents killing themselves in this rat race to to get their kids all these devices, to have the fancy house and the cars, to not spend time with their kids? And when you ask Mm -hmm. them what's the most important thing in their life, they'll say their kids. But when you ask them how their day was spent, there's, there's none of that engaging engagement. Right. So for when you tell me this, this, that's, that's such a great decision and move in life for everybody around them to be able to say, no, this wasn't healthy. I'm going to pull back and I'm mm-hmm. going to focus on me and those around me. Right. And I tend to see women push through a lot more. They will take the stress. They will take the workplace abuse because I've been yelled at. I've been yelled at in front of my students because I didn't have money to donate to a charity. And it would get to the point if I walked down the hall, I would literally, if I saw my boss, I would literally go to the other hallway just to avoid them. And anytime I communicated with them, it was by email. So I would have everything in writing. This is when I first, this is like over 20 years ago when I first started in education. And I realized that I was not in a good place. And everybody felt that way. But literally when I would drive to work, and this may be another thing that people might need to realize about themselves. I used to drive and as soon as I would turn, make that left turn down to the street my stomach would flip. Then all of a sudden, everything just went dark. Or you may feel like when I go to work, okay, shields up. And then I leave work. Okay, shields down. It's like you're on guard all day. And you can't, you can't function like that. That's, you're stuck in fight or flight. So all, all, anytime your body's stuck in that, fight or flight like i said before where you're dealing with your animal brain it's not allowing your body to function as it's supposed to and therefore mm-hmm. that's the beginning of getting sick if you don't switch out of fight or flight to rest and digest your autonomic nervous system isn't serving you and either it's a matter of increasing resiliency and being able to manage your body your emotions and your circumstance or it's a sign to say Hmm, you know what? I need to question why I feel this way. And and for you, Sakola, I want to ask, 
was did, was that the environment from the first day or did it change with new management? It did change with new management because after that I had left, I had made a decision to leave and go to another school. But then when I came back, I came back with the same principle, but I learned how to maneuver with that. And then new principal came in and was a complete 180, very supportive, very trusting, didn't micromanage, inspired. And we went from being the second lowest performing school in the district out of 83 schools to show tremendous growth in one year. So when people say that leadership does not matter, having trust, it does. When first day on a work day, the principal had us wearing our cap and gowns and we were dressed in our cap and gowns. And she said, this is all our students aspire to do. So no matter what they're going through in their home life, for some, they don't even make it this far. It is a huge achievement. This is why we are here. And if there was a retreat, the old principal would only bring a select few. One year for a retreat, she says, no, everybody's going. Wow. Everybody's going to benefit from this retreat. And everybody came. And it was near the beach. So <laughs> what more relaxing place was that, right? We stayed in workshops all day. We got to go out, have fun, walk along the beach in the morning and at night if we wanted to. But it was the togetherness, the cohesiveness. So it does matter. It does make a big difference. But going back to the part with burnout, pay attention to your body. Um, that's the most important thing. If you notice inflammation, I'll notice inflammation in me real quick. I eat a relatively pretty good diet, but then I know if I've eaten something bad, I know it's inflammation. But if it's consistent inflammation, there's something going on. If I'm having to constantly take an NSAID, to reduce the inflammation, no, something's going on. If I get up out of the bed and my feet touch the floor and they're like, ow, ugh. I'm like, okay, no, know how to check in with your body. Don't be afraid. If I, if guys, if you don't hear anything else from this conversation, it's okay. It's okay to reach out to a cognitive behavioral therapist to learn how to work through some things. Find a good therapist, not all therapists are the same, but when you find that one that's right for you, that can help you heal from past traumas, help you move forward, but may even give you some strategies to implement when you're in the workplace. Take advantage of those resources. If your job provides it, and you don't know how fortunate you may be if your job provides it, take advantage of it. It's okay. It's okay. Yes, that's such a good message. That's such an important message. And I, I want to re reiterate that. It's it's okay. And listen to your body and recognize that you're more useful if you pace yourself. Don't try mm -hmm. to outshine you, yourself, your peers, or anyone at work. Take time for a break. I, I'm guilty or I was guilty of eating lunch at my desk and I wouldn't go for a walk because I just see a to-do list and I love the work I've got to do in my career. So I'm motivated. I would tell my teams, I'm not the example. Like 
<laughs> don't, don't, um, I, you know, you should lead by example, but uh, I would state not to do that. So take the time and, and push back or communicate if you have too much on your plate. That's the other thing is you don't just magically appear at the step of burnout. It incrementally, gradually stacks until you're at that breaking point. So being able to recognize that, that feel in your gut, that displeasure, the resentment, any anger, just like a romantic relationship, you should communicate that with your partner, communicate it with your boss, communicate that, you know, like there's too much on my plate. I don't feel well. This is, I'm just, I'm not happy. And, and if, if you've got an organization that just tells you to suck it up or doesn't respect you coming forth with that, then that's a sign in itself. You should maybe consider finding a different team to work on, find a new organization. I know that's easier said than done. These jobs aren't just hanging out for you to go pick off the tree, but it's to recognize it. I think self-awareness is that first step, just being aware of of what's happening. And anyone I know, no one knew they're, they're, they were reaching burnout. I said, oh yeah, you know, I was on the doorstep. and and But I solved that. I took a step back. I'm on vacation. I got healthier. I, started exercising more and and the other thing is is creating that resilience is on a daily basis don't neglect your health eat well sleep well exercise exercise so key and it's not just i went for a walk go for a brisk walk or Mm. you have to at the key the secret to getting the most out of exercise is, is pushing your heart rate up so if that just means doing some high intensity interval training for a few minutes every day, you get four rounds at 30 minutes or 30 seconds of peak activity. And I'm not a doctor, this is medical advice, but this Mm -hmm. is just repetitive throughout several studies I've read is, is getting that variation in your heart rate. That's the magic in, in getting good exercise. You could go for a slow walk for two hours. It's okay. But getting some more intense stuff works, works magic, magic on the body. Mm -hmm. Right. Even if it's 30 seconds and I'm guilty of that eating at the desk, that is so not sexy. <laughs> <laughs> it's not sexy sitting there <laughs> eating while you're looking at a computer screen and I'm guilty of it. I still catch myself doing it from time to time. It is not a good thing. And I, and I even say to myself, girl, this is so not it. This is not what you're supposed to be doing in the long run. My grandmother is 97 years old and I want to be able to go look back at my 90 year old self and my younger self when I'm 90 years old and say, you know what? You did good. You made good choices. Mm. And if you have to take a step back in your career, like some members of my family, and I said, it's okay. Cause sometimes you got to take a step back to make two steps forward. So if that's what you have to do for yourself, because you are replaceable on your job. That's it. You are. You are. And you are replaceable. I've had a challenging decade and even more challenging last five years for for various reasons, whether it was getting sick or changing careers and starting businesses. What I found was I I, I can, despite coming back from burnout and, and what and not learning the lesson, I, I try to power through over and over. And then I face resistance because my mind and my body just say, no, 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 <laughs> we're not mm-hmm. having this. And I couldn't figure it out. And, and I 
I started dissecting things like why, why do I feel the need to this? What are my beliefs? And then what are my values? So mm -hmm. I kind of paused and, and because I don't want to set this example for my kids either. So I want to set a healthy example and what am I portraying to them? So I broke down like, where are my values prioritizing them? I'm not living to what I think my values are. And then put that into perspective and say, wait, okay. I prioritize or, you know, on my list, theoretically, my priorities are my, my kids, my family, my health, my this, and being able to provide and not necessarily my career, but it's to provide. And then when I reshape that and broke it down to like, what really matters to me? Like, what's it all for? Why am I driven to seemingly driven to do things that don't really matter, but I put a lot of time and energy behind it and realized that wasn't healthy. It wasn't appropriate. And it was not in line with my value. So question your values. I think people, the comment about the parents overworking and not spending time with their kids, you're saying you want to, but I think over the years you get carried away with, well, okay, got to go to post-secondary. I'm working a job outside. Then we have to, you know, you graduate, you got to get a, a job, start my career, got to buy a house, got to get married, got to do this, have kids. And it, it just, it, it snowballs and you're stuck on this escalator. And all of a sudden you have kids and maybe one person stays home for a short amount of time, but then you're both at work. Kids are being raised by someone else until they are school aged. And, and when you pause to think about life is we discard our elderly into old age homes. We discard our kids to be raised by strangers and then to school and then possibly in front of screens for any free time they have. Where is that meaningful connection? You don't get the transfer of values from seniors to parents to, to grandchildren. And the grandchildren aren't helping out in the home. So maybe if we brought back multi-generational homes, it would reduce that pressure where people, both parents need to work and you have all this outsourcing of child rearing and, and just slow things down because things just keep accelerating and it impacts our mental health and it impacts the workplace and there's competition and it's a race to the bottom for values and pricing in our supply chain and the services offered and products offered. So where do we go from here? I think we need some collusion, marketplace collusion to raise prices in some areas, but not gas. There's enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> and food and crochet. And food and food. <laughs> Right. We need we need gas to get around, you know, the way our cities and towns are built and we need food, good, healthy food to thrive. But what you said is so true. Don't discard. Don't discard your life. Mm. Don't discard your life or your family, because if you burn out or something happens to you, you're irreplaceable to your loved ones. You're replaceable in your job, but you're not irreplaceable to yourself you're not irreplaceable to your loved ones. Go back, do those check-ins. When you find yourself grumpy, tired, not feeling well, getting sick all the time, there's a reason for that. So please, your mental health is important. Uh, Hanish, are there any resources or books or support networks that are available for employees who may be struggling with their mental health at work that you are aware of that you can share with us or even some books? There's, you know, I found really helpful um, recently was, okay, there's two, two, two paths here. One is leveling up cognitive behavioral therapy with positive intelligence with Shirzad. Um, I can't remember his last name. Uh, excellent author. He's, he's an MBA and a clinical psychologist too. So the, the marrying of both worlds with the science background. So oh, 
uh, a man who has also faced a lot of hardship, but positive intelligence provides some very practical exercises and makes it's simple to understand how our brain has, um, if you've ever heard the terms of saboteurs, that's where that premise comes from. And the other ones, depending on your the country, state, province that you live in, government resources, I think, are the most um, relevant and the most useful. There's, there's a lot of basic information out there for, for public health for resources related to mental health and a quick google search will get get you a pile of of stuff and i personally um this is probably too much in the, the weeds so i won't talk about any studies but a good overlay of symptoms and and a good overview of what might be happening i find the cleveland clinic and the mayo clinic are my trusted resources for like what's happening what do i need what are the symptoms before you start you know, playing Dr. Google and all of a sudden you've got every disease known to man. So those, those are the, my go-to resources. Okay, great. Thank you so much for sharing those. Now to wrap this up, and I want to say thank you for taking the time to talk about this. You were the first person that I came across personally to talk about mental health in the workplace. So thank you for coming on. If there was a talent, because you're a man of many talents, but if you, is there one talent that you wish you possessed that you currently don't have? Does flying or x-ray vision count? <laughs> no, we're not. Okay. Different talents. You mean flying a plane or? <laughs> no, I just be flying like Superman. Like, <laughs> no, okay. We're not. No. Huh. Um, um, wow, that's I've I've pursued so much um continued learning, education, growth, and development. And even before I left my 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 government, my I was an executive in Canada's federal government and I left, I did my own SWOT analysis, my own strength, weakness, opportunity, and threat assessment to identify my learning opportunities. I do this on a regular basis and I just continue to pursue learning, just like the positive intelligence course that I took this spring for me it's people i grew up and had an engineering background so very stoic very practical everything was black and white very sensitive to kids and children but i don't my divorce taught me empathy for adults and more compassion so i worked on that i think being able to read and connect with people is something i will always work at and continue learning. So that's that's a skill that I just want to get stronger at to be able to serve people with whatever skills I've developed. So that's that's my ultimate goal is to get better at that and to apply everything I've learned to my leadership roles and to be able to bring back to the workplace. Because like I said, it comes down to leadership. And there's such a big gap in how we engage our teams and staff. And when you combine available metrics so management science with psychology, with leadership, and you bring that together, you can run a beautifully well-oiled machine with happy employees, great productivity, innovation, and just wellness. So that's that's where I'm headed. Okay. Sounds awesome. I'm looking forward to hearing more of your progress as you work on that, being more compassionate, empathetic with others and yourself as well. Yes. 
Yes, that's a key point. That that's something that I've even got a little note on one of my monitors to reminding myself of that. So thank you for that mm. reminder. And thank you. Thank you for having me and sharing what you did, Sakola. That sounds like you've had some pretty significant challenges in your career. And yeah, I, I got these gray hairs for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I even notice, like really. Oh, well, thank you. I just decided to let them be and it is what it is and it's okay. But you know what? I'm, I'm growing just like everyone else. But if you don't take anything else away from this, you can't change other people, but you can definitely work on yourself. And so guys, if you feel like you're at that point and you, sometimes you hear people say, I feel like I'm at that breaking point. I feel like I'm just about to burst. Then it is time. It is time to take a step back. It is time to reach out to a professional who can help you. There should be no reason why you as an adult are in this constant state of fight or flight at home, in the world, and at work. Take care of yourselves, guys. Take care of each other. But most importantly, don't forget to work it, live it own it in your everyday life. And if you have any other suggestions or tips on how people can take care of themselves and their mental well-being, please leave your comments in the chats and also in the comment section. But also you can leave us a voice memo on Spotify or on my website, workitliveitownit.com. Again, Hanish, thank you so much for shedding light on this and talking about this. Until next time, guys. Take care.